Welcome to SECC. We pray that you are blessed today as you listen. You know the, uh, the poem, or you would have heard the poem, you know, if a child lives with that one. Um, many, we often read it at dedication services. You know, if a child lives with criticism, they learn to criticize, they live with anger, they learn to become angry, etc., uh, etc. Et There's that well-known poem, and then it kind of flips it on its head. And if a child lives with encouragement, they learn to encourage, goes like that. And uh, thinking about that this week as I was, um, actually that poem isn't just true for the formation of a young life. It's true for every single relationship, every single adult. All of you in this room, all of you watching at home, our kids next door, all of us can be built up by language or destroyed by it in a single uh, bound as well. Communities uh, can be built up if they're built up with positivity and encouragement and blessing. That language can be very powerful, can't it? Uh, depending on how we use it. It can be powerful for bad. It can be powerful for good. And actually, you haven't even got to be horrible to destroy someone. I could say to Julie, for example, um, well, you can tell us if you would feel encouraged by what I'm about to say, not Julie. If I was to say to Julie, today you led okay. It wasn't, you know, too bad. You know, it was all right. It's a bit better than last week. But there's still, you obviously got a long way to go. But I think you'll probably get there eventually, you know, if you just keep plodding. I think eventually you'll kind of get to where I think you probably can be at some point in the future. I think if I spoke to Julie like that on a regular basis, she'd probably go home and say, to ch- I shouldn't do that, should I? I mean, that's safer. That's much safer. Sorry, that's my bad. Um, how motivated would she be with that language? You could say we well, did encourage her. You told her she'd get better. But by couching it in the, uh, it's better than last week. It's better than last week. Last week was all right. It's just okay. Last week was all right. But what if I said to Julie what I actually think was that I love that you clearly love Jesus Christ. I love the fact that your passion and your faith overflows into your face. (laughs) I like that a lot from anyone at the front. I love the fact that your prayers are spontaneous. I love the fact that it overflows from your knowledge of God's word and your passion for him and that everybody will hear what you believe. And I love the fact that the gift God has obviously given you, you are fanning into flame and it's lovely for us all to watch that happening. I love the way you lead and uh, leading by example the worship team and helping us to worship Sunday by Sunday. I love that. God bless you, sister. I suspect Julie might have a different reaction to that kind of language. And you too. <clears throat> so, 2022 is upon us. Nine days in. Who's had enough already? <laughs> I start thinking 2020 wasn't that bad after all. No, um, but we've got a new year. And I think actually this year will probably be our hardest year yet, actually. Not because COVID's going to be around by the end of it. I shouldn't confidently predict too much. I don't want to be the, um, what's his name, Michael Fish of the COVID pandemic, you know, predicting it definitely won't rain next Thursday and then everything's destroyed. Um, But it does feel like COVID is beginning to wane and beginning to find its way out of our lives. And we're really pleased with that, of course. But what's going to remain as COVID diminishes is the trauma of these last two years, year and a half, two years. People are tired. People are angry. And boy, can you tell how angry people are. I had a woman behind me. All my examples when I drive. Maybe I'm a bad driver. Very cross. I wasn't going half a mile an hour faster. Um, but people are cross. People are angry. People are broken. And you haven't got to look very far, even in this room. I know some of you are broken. The grief that we've suffered in the last year and a half, two years. And even if you can say, well, it wasn't as bad as those poor people at the beginning of the pandemic, it still was bad. And what about the sense of regret for all the time that we lost? And we're never, ever going to get back again. 
whether we like it or not. There's nothing we could do about it. So this year, our language, the way we speak to each other, the way we write emails to each other, the way we text each other, the way we look at each other, there's no, a smile is free, a nod is free, a thumbs up is sad and out of fashion, but I keep doing it, and that's the Fonzie way, don't do that, Just, you know, do something else. Um, but to encourage is free, but worth everything. The words we speak over each other in 2022, the words we speak over ourselves are going to matter more than perhaps they have done in the last five or six or seven years. They've always mattered, but to the masses, they're going to matter more, perhaps. We must make sure in 2022, we don't snap at each other. We must make sure that we don't react to little things that aren't important, that are big things in our mind. We must not accuse each other or slander each other. We must be people whose words are gentle. As the Bible says, seasoned with salt, not like a chef, but like as an act of worship in the Old Testament where they put salt on the uh, sacrifice at the temple, seasoned with that sacrificial words that are pleasing to God. We must make sure that the language we use in 2022 are healing language, kind words, because people need rebuilding. And guess what? The words you and I use could be as strong as cement in that rebuilding process. So I want to do a little series, we want to do a little series that I've titled Words of Hope from the Psalms. It's a rubbish title, but uh, it's too long, but I don't care, and not you. Um, but Words of Hope from the Psalms, and just we're going to be looking at Psalms all of January. And today we're looking at Psalm 121, which is titled in most Bibles, um, if, they, if your Bible gives titles to the, Psalm, <clears throat> to the Psalms, uh, my help comes from the Lord. Obviously, we had Psalm 139 uh, last week, so a big thank you for Dave for stepping in uh, for me last week. And I'm not suggesting that I'm open to suggestion when someone speaks from the front, but after Dave's sermon, I did go out and buy sausages. <laughs> and I prayed for Dave as well, but that's an unrelated, <laughs> unrelated thing. So we're going to look at Psalm 121. I'm going to go through the Psalms just for uh, these five weeks, really, um, because these are songs, poems that are full of hope for God's people when they struggle. And I'm going to read Psalm 121 now. And as I read it, um, I don't know if it's appearing behind me or not, but as I read it, just look at the text. What words do you see repeating uh, in this psalm? Uh, what words do you see that are similar to other words like Lord and God? Is there repetition? Is there like similes? Are there words that are similar to each other? Can you pick up a flow of arguments uh, or kind of a thought process that this psalmist has put down? Um, it's good to not just listen to when someone else speaking at you. You've got to be thinking. And this, had we have done our second half, by the way, we would have done something similar in our groups, really just taken that passage apart and looked at the repetition, the wording. The, God's word is a living book. The words are alive. This is not some dead book from some dead language, from some dead philosophy. God wrote, the God that wrote these words lives even today, lives from eternity. And so when he speaks from his word, his words are alive and we listen and they hit us in the heart, whether we like it or not, whether we ignore it or embrace it. God is speaking every single day, every single moment. We just need ears to hear. So hear what God is about to say to his psalmist. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. 
The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. I think it's wonderful, this psalm. They're all wonderful, I know. But this is like trying to pick out your favorite child. I love them both the same. They're both my favorite. But like all of God's word is just all my favorite. Um, but what a wonderful passage I've just read. I wonder what you noticed as I read it. What's being repeated? There are certain words that are repeated over and over and over, and we'll come on to those in a second. But I want to start with chapter, not chapter, uh, verse 1, the first half of verse 1. No, all of verse 1, in fact. <clears throat> he says, no, no, sorry. You have to forgive me. I'm going to be slightly like this the whole talk. Um, the first half of verse 1, he writes, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. If you've got a different translation, it might say hills. Uh, what are these hills? What are these mountains that he's referring to? They're almost certainly the hills and mountains that surrounded Jerusalem. Of course, if you were a believer in the Old Testament, you would be off to worship God at the temple in Jerusalem. You would worship him in your daily life, of course, but you would have to travel to Jerusalem a couple of times a year to take part in some big festivals. And Jerusalem is surrounded by hills, or you might call them mountains. And so these hills could be that. It could be the surroundings of Jerusalem, the epicenter of the Jewish faith, of Judaism, of Israelite life. Uh, this is known as the Psalm of Ascent. Uh, and they uh, traditionally understood to be songs that were sung on the temple steps as people ascended up uh, to the temple mount where they worshipped God uh, in the temple. But it's documenting a journey of a pilgrim going to Jerusalem, going to worship God. This is one interpretation of it. So these hills could just represent their destination, a destination where they go to worship God and the joy of seeing Jerusalem loom on the horizon. Also, biblically, hills can represent a place to be feared, a place of enemies and darkness, perhaps, a place of fear. So you've got two sort of interpretations. It's probably mainly... Um, the hills of Jerusalem, but you've got these two interpretations of mountains or hills in the Bible, Jerusalem or a place of fear. So this psalm is either uh, praise at arrival, the arrival at Jerusalem to worship, or written in response to fear, the hills, where does my help come from? But either way, it doesn't really matter in one sense, either way, um, as we journey through 2022, and the effects of COVID take their toll. I believe there are a couple of lessons from Psalm 121 that we can take on board uh, as we journey through this next year or couple of years. And I've called them lessons for pain. I probably should have called them lessons for life or lessons for hope would have been slightly better. But I wonder, how do you handle trauma? How do you handle fear? I wonder how you handle when things go wrong. What do you do? You haven't got to tell me. But I wonder what your response is. Well, there are a couple of things I want to draw out from this psalm. Strategies that I think will help us cope when we suffer pain and uncertainty of which we all will to a lesser or greater degree. So the first of the things that the psalmist teaches us about how to deal uh, with pain, a lesson for pain. The first is Q&A, uh, question and answer. What's really fascinating about this psalm is it opens with a question. The second half of verse 1, uh, he says, having thought of those hills or mountains either as a representative of Jerusalem where he's going to worship or a place of fear and pain, he asks this question, where does my help come from? In that question, he acknowledges his pain. I've got pain, I've got fear. Where does my help come from? And then he answers his own question. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 
I find it really interesting. Normally, uh, when you speak to yourself, uh, people begin to get concerned. If you have a full-blown conversation with yourself, people get a bit worried. Uh, unless you've got an earphone in there, they think, okay, he's talking to someone, that's okay. That's not, that's not, that's not that's nothing to worry about. Um, but there's a discipline here, I believe, that we can draw out from that first verse of this psalm. Because often when we talk about our pain, we talk into a vacuum. We only ever ask questions of our pain or our lives, or our situations. When will this end? Will this ever get any better? Will this stop hurting? What's the point? Will I ever feel good again? We ask question after question after question about the things we go through, and that's understandable. But there's a real danger of just asking questions of our pain into a vacuum. When actually God has given you 66 books that provide an answer, an answer that can come straight back at your pain and give you something to hope on. That's the point of that first verse. Where does my, I lift my eyes up. Where does my help come from? If it stopped there, that would be depressing, wouldn't it? Just know my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And it doesn't matter if he doesn't feel like that in that precise moment, if he's not really even believing it 100%, if his pain is enveloping this poor person, but he knows the answer, even if he doesn't get the emotion of that answer. And there's a discipline for that reason, because we ask questions all the time, what's the point? Will I ever feel good again? Will I ever get better? Is this ever going to stop? And there are answers. They may not make you feel emotionally better, but the discipline of question and then answer. God has given you all the info, given us all the information. When I was first a Christian, like many, I struggled with things I doubted. I've had many times of doubt as being a Christian. Is there really a God? Is Christianity really the only way to God? What about Hindus and Muslims and atheists? What about them? I mean, but why should I believe that Jesus is the only way? Because that's what Christians believe. There's only one way to God, through the Son. No other way. There's no kind of back door into heaven. You believe in Jesus, or you need to believe in Jesus. It's as simple as that. And I'd ask those questions. And then I'd answer them myself. Because Jesus is the only one who's God's Son. Jesus is the only one who came back from the dead. I might still struggle with that question for a bit. Or I might ask, I, I sometimes would ask, does God love me? How can God love me? I still keep sinning. I've been a Christian three weeks. And I should have stopped singing. Sin it singing. should have stopped singing years ago. I should have stopped sinning after three weeks. And then you think, well, God stopped loving me because I have stopped sinning. And I would remind myself, that's not possible. That's not true. Because Jesus died for you and Jesus loves you. And, and I'd say all those things. And I'd say, yeah, but will I, am I going to heaven? I'm not sure I've got a place in heaven. What if I'm secretly going to hell and I don't realize it? And then I'd remind myself, no, Jesus rose from the grave. I'm saved by grace. I'd say those things over myself. Doesn't mean that my doubts evaporated or my hurts evaporated, but that Q&A is such an important discipline. I encourage you to try and do it. Find out what God says about the thing you're, you're facing and keep saying it back every time your heart explodes with a why. Come back with a yeah. That's what you've got to do. And it's a discipline the church has done for many years and stopped more recently. There's something called the Westminster Catechism. There's two versions, the long one and the short one. Uh, the long one is long and the short one is slightly shorter so but basically it's a collection of questions and answers and you could literally and what they were designed to do was disciple people 
What's the, here's a question, what's the answer? You repeat the answer. Here's this question, what's the answer? You repeat the answer. And in the end, the person that went through these things would understand a vast, broad understanding of Christianity. It's a long desire of mine to somehow get that dynamic into church life. I just haven't quite worked out how to do it without it seeming so artificial. But actually, you could even just download that and go through that every day. But ask the questions of your pain, absolutely. But make sure that you give the answer God's already given to it. Second thing we can learn from Psalm 121 is about the balance of our language. <clears throat> BT said a thousand years ago it's good to talk, but is it always good to talk? And if it's good to talk, what's it good to talk about? Because I think sometimes uh, we get the proportion of what we talk about in the 21st century quite wrong. Culturally, we've become, um, we've moved away from what perhaps life was like 50 years ago where we'd never talked about our pain. We've now said it's wrong to do it. We should talk about trauma. We should talk about pain and suffering. Hallelujah, I totally agree with that. I think we've strayed too far in the opposite direction. Where that's almost all we talk about. We label and we discuss and we get to the, the, the middle, trying to find the middle of the onion. But there's no middle of the onion, is there? We keep peeling and peeling and peeling and feeling worse and worse and worse. Sometimes you can talk too much about what hurts. And if we talk too much about our pain and churn it over and over and over, is there any gain to be had in the end? If negative things are given too much of our time and our brain capacity, will we not end up being deflated and defeated? It's really hard to persevere in battle when all you do is describe the condition of the trenches. I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't have therapy speak to a counsellor or discuss with someone how you're feeling. I absolutely advocate that. But I think there's a need for balance when you do it. Note this psalm. One verse is dedicated to his pain and his fear. Where does my help come from? He recognises the pain and the worries ahead. Seven verses. Seven verses are about how reasons why he can trust God during that pain. Note the repetition of the word keep, 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 repeated over and over and over. God will keep the nation. God will keep the individual. Verses three to four, we get a list of things God won't do. He won't let your, your foot slip. He won't fall asleep. He won't fall asleep when you're uh, getting through your life. It's things God won't do. And then verses five and six, we get the description of what God is. He is your, sh your shade at night. And he will be with you and protect you from harm day and night. And in verses 7 and 8, we get the, the wills of God. God will keep you from all harm. He will watch over you. He'll watch over your coming and your going now and forevermore. He, he just embraces who God is rather than giving too much airtime to what hurts. Because you can't change what hurts, but you can increase what heals. Let me give you an example. That's why I couldn't drink my glass of water. <laughs> You see, it isn't the case of are you a glass half full or a glass half empty kind of person. It doesn't really matter, in a sense. I think it's better to be a glass half full person, personally. But the bit of the... Can you just hold that for me, Maureen? Sorry. Thank you. <clears throat> but the point is, your hurt is always going to hurt. It's never not going to hurt, is it? You can't change the bit that hurts. You can't pretend that this bit is bigger than it is either because that's the other half of your life. And if life is rubbish at the moment, it's rubbish. And it's not going to stop being rubbish. But if all you talk about is the bit that hurts, then it's going to be like there's nothing good. And I'm not suggesting avoid what hurts. Pretend it's not there. 
Dismiss it, absolutely not. Talk about what hurts, deal with it. But imagine this is the promises of God and all that we learn about God in the Bible. What I'm saying is take what hurts, stick it in there and then talk about it. Envelop what hurts with the truths of God. Sorry, Phil, that's my bad. Rather than thinking, I've got to just deal with this on my own. What the psalmist does is ask that question, where does my help come from? And then it's like he takes all of God and wraps God around what hurts. So in the end, by the end, he's full of hope, even as those hills loom larger. You've got to know your Bible, and you've got to speak God's word over your pain. The third thing we learn from this psalm is the importance of traveling to good places. This psalm is probably, like I say, documenting a pilgrim's journey to Jerusalem. Hence that word ascent, ascending up to worship God. And can you imagine what it would have felt like as that believer walked towards the Temple Mount, seeing the hills of Jerusalem get larger and larger and larger. I'm flitting between interpretation of hills, I realize. Um, how, how their heart would have exploded seeing the temple get bigger and bigger. God's presence is in the Holy of Holies. I can't get in there. I know a man who can. And I'm going to offer a sacrifice and I'm going to sing and I'm going to worship and it's going to be amazing when I get there. And as the closer he gets to where God is, the more God's truth just becomes louder and louder and louder. And the pain of that question gets smaller and smaller and smaller. There is something important about corporate worship that the devil wants us to forget. He wants us to grow in isolation, not in community. But you can't grow in isolation. COVID has done a terrible thing to the church. At the beginning, many, many well-known Christian leaders in media and all sorts celebrated that we went online. We celebrated that we could go online. The difference. They celebrated like it was going to be this revival. But just because churches had a YouTube account, non-Christians would flock to us. And in many cases, churches have grown. We've grown. We met new people because of being online. Absolutely, it was wonderful that we could. But what COVID has shown us is that it's possible to stay at home on a Sunday morning. It's possible to be at home and feel all right about yourself and your faith and never actually have to walk here. I'm not suggesting that God lives in the church like his presence was in the temple. But this is where you need to be on a Sunday morning. Our connect groups is where you need to be during the week. Serving and growing your gifts are what you need to be doing the rest of the time. It's the same message. But COVID has changed attendance. How many of us, if we're honest, have got used to watching from home? and have no intention of coming back. How many of us have got used to a brand new seat on the fringe and suddenly realize you quite like it? Because no one bothers you. No one asks you to do anything. Because you're on the edge. And we think, well, I better not ask them because they're on the edge and it's like that. And how many of us have realized that actually once a month, we're right, coming to church. Twice a month, it's good. I like that. It makes me feel good. And have we all forgotten that this is where God dwells on a Sunday with his people? We rightly praise Jesus for the internet. We thank God for our worship team and our PA team particularly because those who cannot come out absolutely join where they can and we thank God for that but how many can and don't come back ultimately this psalm is about pain it's about what to do with that pain 
It's given us three things. Ask the question, but answer it. Get that balance of language right so you're talking more about what you hope in, not what you hope without. And then travel to good places. Grow your faith by being with God's people. It's about being near. It's about listening. It's about being enveloped in the truth of God. And I hope as we go through 2022, we will all not pick up where we left off at the beginning of COVID, but start in a new place where Christ is number one, where his people are our family, and we invest in each other's lives. We invest in his knowledge of his word. We're filled with the spirit. and We become all that God is calling us to be. Because that glass that's got our hurt in it hurts a lot more when you're on your own. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord, that your word is like a double-edged sword. We thank you, Lord, that your word is a light to our feet, honey to our lips. We thank you, Lord, that we're commanded to hide your word in our heart, to take it, memorize it, digest it, meditate upon it. Father God, we live in a world full of lies, full of words that hurt. Forgive us, Lord, for the times when we've been those people that have taken the devil's language, Lord, and used it in this place. May that not be our story at all in this year. May we only speak the words of life that our Savior spoke. May we lift up and build up and bear each other's burdens. But Lord, for those who are in real pain this morning, Father, and you know, Father God, may they just know that there are things that can be said. There are truths that they can hang on to. And Lord, I pray in your mercy that you would hear their prayers, that Lord, you would open their heart to you. Lord, they would know that they're loved by people in this room and at home. And that, Lord, as they go through their trauma and their pain, and Lord, only you know what this year will bring. I beg you, Lord, that they might just hear your truth. That, Lord, they would speak that over themselves as you speak it over them. Lord, may they realize that Christ came to die so they could have your word in written form. I thank you, Lord, for that. Bless them. Give them your strength, I pray. And Lord, for those who have just got out the habit of being with your people, Father, we love them. And Lord, it's not a judgment thing at all. None of us have that, uh, are allowed to judge each other. That's not our remit, Lord, only yours. So Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who have become comfortable on the edge. Lord, those who have enjoyed, Lord, a, a decreasing attendance. And those, Lord, for whom the settee is the pew. And Lord, I pray that you would bring us all back together, Lord, passionate followers of Jesus Christ in this room. Lord, for those who can never be with us because of illness or hardship, Lord, may they know that we love them in equal measure and we know why. And Lord, we miss them every day. Lord, we commit everything we've said this morning to you as we sing again in Jesus' name. Amen.